Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. If you are a regular listener to the Beacon Broadcast, then you probably know that we are sojourning in John chapter 15, where Christ talks about the vine and the branches and his father being the vine dresser and Christians being branches that are attached to the vine and all of the lessons that grow out of that. And we are focusing on the broadcast today, began it actually last Sunday, and we are continuing it today on the place of God's Word in the work of salvation. And in the course of this message, this sermon that Jesus preached to his disciples, he indicates that the power of God's Word is involved in two areas. First of all, in conversion, and secondly, in sanctification. And all of these have to do with salvation. Conversion, of course, is the beginning of salvation, but sanctification is what we continue on, the the process of salvation, we might say, the progress of salvation until we are safely home in glory. And so Jesus says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That refers to conversion. And then he says in verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And that is in reference to sanctification. So the power of the word, the necessity of the word, the preeminence of the word, these are the things that are being emphasized in this passage, and we will look at them a little more carefully after I greet you and welcome you to this March 5 edition of the Beacon Broadcast, and thank you for helping us with the cost of maintaining this broadcast on the station. Okay, first of all, the word in conversion. The use of the word, and we're talking about the Bible, the word of God, in conversion, where Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. This cleansing speaks of regeneration and justification. And Jesus said that the word, God uses his word to accomplish this in the lives of people. Now, in what way can it be said that the disciples of Christ were made clean by the word of Christ? Well, let's look at several aspects here. 
First of all, let's consider the word as an instrument, an instrument that cleanses. In what sense does the word cleanse to justify us before God? This cannot speak primarily of sanctification, which will come later, at least not that, not in the progressive sense, which is present and future and incomplete as long as we are in the flesh. But what Christ is talking about in verse, thir- verse 3 rather, is something that is a completed state. You are already clean, period, through the word that I have spoken unto you. So this cannot speak of an ongoing work such as progressive sanctification, but rather of a finished work. For that which is, we could call it forensic or judicial, that which is affected by God and pronounced by God on the basis of the work of regeneration, on the basis of the cleansing because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in dying for those who trust in him. It speaks of the word as an instrument used by God to bring the souls of men to the place where they are rendered clean and pronounced clean. Two realities. First, by the word of God, in concert with the work of the Holy Spirit, we are made clean, and then because we have been made clean, we are pronounced clean. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. And so, Christ's cleansing blood, we speak of it that way, don't we? I talked about that last week. When we talk about the cleansing blood of Christ, of course, we're not talking about a physical act. We're not talking about taking that that liquid blood that flowed out of Christ's vein and somehow rubbing it around in such a way that it acts as a, a detergent, as a cleanser, because the blood of Christ shed upon the cross is physical, but the cleansing which it produces is spiritual. It is not material. It is not physical. It is something that takes place in the spirit of man, in the spiritual part of man. And so, therefore, what we mean when we talk about the cleansing of the blood of Christ is that on the basis of the sacrifice which Christ made, a literal shedding of his physical blood as a sacrifice for sin, but on the basis of that, God wipes clean the believing sinner. He is cleansed. His record in heaven is erased, that sin record which is so so heavy, which is so long, which is so so insurmountable. Yet God has a way of dealing with it. And he does so because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. He does so by the work of God's Spirit in our hearts. But the instrument which he uses, plainly, stated right here in our text, is the Word of God. That's the Word as an instrument. 
God uses His Word to produce cleansing, to produce justification. Justification is the result of the operation of God's Word, the powerful operation, the effective operation of God's Word in the soul of man. Now, when I say this, I hope you understand I'm not saying that it is the Word alone. It's not. It's the Word in concert with the work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How is it the two people sitting side by side in a church service hear the same message? One of them is convicted by it. One of them is changed by it. One of them is regenerated by it. One of them is justified by it. And the other one is unmoved by it. How do we explain that? We explain that by the work of the Spirit of God in the heart of one and not in the heart of the other. That's obvious enough, I think, to those who think it through. It's, it's of necessity must be that way. God the Holy Spirit working in one heart in a powerful way, in a way that is overcomes all of the resistance which a sinner can put up and will put up against the operation of God's Word in his soul, but the Holy Spirit working in such a powerful way that all of that resistance is overcome and that sinner is brought to his knees. Maybe not physically, though maybe physically, but that sinner is brought to his knees inwardly. He, he is bowing before the Lord of glory in his heart. He is he sees himself as lost. He sees himself as, as in desperate need of a Savior. He sees himself as headed to destruction and deserving it. He sees himself as a sinner who is under the wrath of God and who must experience the judgment of God, the, the eternal judgment of God, unless, unless, unless he flees to Christ and the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is applied to his soul and applied to his account. And it is the Word of God that is producing this effect as the Holy Spirit makes that Word alive and powerful within his soul. So that is the Word as an instrument. But secondly, we can talk about the Word in operation. Again, back to verse 3, you are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken unto you. Something that has already taken place, you are already clean, but this work that took place in the past has an effect. You are clean, you are justified, you are forgiven through the Word or because of the Word. The Word is an instrument. Being born again, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, being born again, there's another way of putting it, born again is regeneration, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but by what? The Word of God, which lives and abides forever. God's Word becomes an operation within the soul. 
And Jesus said, this is the word which I have spoken unto you. That tells us the source of the word which is able to accomplish this amazing effect. What is the source? The source is God himself. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. Jesus, the eternal God who wrapped himself in human flesh and walked upon this earth and who performed miracles and taught the, taught the multitudes and taught his disciples before he went to the cross and laid down his life for our sins. This one spoke to to his disciples. And when he spoke, he was speaking the word, the powerful word of the eternal God. And what was the result of that? They were cleansed. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. And so it works something like this. The work of the Holy Spirit opens the heart to receive the word. The work of the Holy Spirit changes the heart so that it desires the word. It is that sinner is given a new heart. He's given a receptive heart. He's He's made receptive to this word, which previously he has rejected. He has given understanding of this word, which previously he did not fully understand. And the Holy Spirit of God is doing this work. And this new heart now responds in repentance and faith. And that is conversion, the change of mind, the change of direction, the change of desires that takes place through the operation of God's eternal word empowered by God's eternal spirit. And when that sinner is brought to believe in Jesus, then he is justified. He is made just at the judgment bar of God and pronounced just by the judge of all the earth, the one who has the right to make the pronouncement, the one before whom all of us must stand, the one who will judge the creatures that he has created and hold all of us accountable to what he has demanded of us. And yet, as we know, what God has demanded is perfection, and none of us is able to achieve it. So all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there is none righteous, no, not one, except, of course, for the one who is the virgin-born Son of God, the one who is more than a man but is also God in human flesh, except the Lord Jesus Christ being the only exception, the only, only human being who did not sin. But apart from him, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth is shall die. And here we are, doomed and damned before our Creator, the Judge of all the universe, a holy God, who in merciful kindness sends His Spirit and proclaims His Word and brings those two instruments together, if you could call them both instruments. We're talking, of course, about the Word as an instrument, but brings together the operation of the Holy Spirit to make that Word live so that the word indeed becomes alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And then when that sinner has been 
regenerated by the Holy Spirit and brought to repentance and faith when he believes, when he exercises the faith in God, in Christ, in the Word of God, which he's now able to do because of the operation of the Holy Spirit in his life. When he believes, God says, I pronounce you just. I pronounce you justified. I pronounce you cleansed. You are forever justified before me. I liken it in some respects to what takes place in a marriage ceremony. When the vows have been said and everything has been legally completed, the minister of the gospel says, I now pronounce you. And he makes a pronouncement which now creates a new reality. I pronounce you husband and wife. It's a new relationship. Legally, it's a new relationship. Something new exists that did not exist before. Two individuals have become one. A man and a woman have become husband and wife. And he says, I pronounce that. I declare that on the basis of what has taken place here the vows that have been made, the commitment that has been made, on the basis of what has taken place here, these commitments made before witnesses, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And the minister has the authority to do that. Authority that has been given to him by the government in the the United States of America. Each state authorizes ministers to perform this, I started to call it this service, and it is a service, but to perform this act of pronouncing people, husband and wife, when they have made these commitments before him. He's heard their vows. He's witnessed their commitments. Others have witnessed it as well. And on the basis of that, he makes a pronouncement. I now pronounce you husband and wife. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Well, I see some similarity there to what we're talking about here. God the judge pronounces cleansed that sinner who believes in Jesus Christ. And when we believe, we are justified. We are justified by faith. Faith, believing in What? The Word of God. And God pronounces us just. We are justified, therefore, by faith, according to Romans 3.28. And so that's the Word as an instrument. That's the Word in operation. And that is the Word in application. This tells us that the Word of God has the power to bring about salvation. No one is saved by the Word alone because it takes the operation of the Holy Spirit in enlivening that Word, in opening the heart to the Word, and enabling one to understand the Word. No one is saved by the Word of the alone, but listen, the Word alone, but listen to me. No one is saved apart from the Word. At least, we cannot expect anyone to be saved apart from the Word. Someone will say, well, what about John the Baptist, who apparently was regenerated in his mother's womb? Was the Word of God instrumental in that? And frankly, we don't know. We can 
speculate that probably not. This was probably an exception to what I'm saying. But we really don't know. There's something so mysterious about that particular example. And there are a couple of others in the Scripture that seem to have similar indications that they were actually regenerated before they were born. So what part did the Word of God have in that? I can't explain that. I can't, I can't uh, declare what, what that part would be. But no one can deny that it may have been involved. But for, for as much as what we know, when it comes to people who are alive and well and living upon the earth and yet are dead in trespasses and sins, in other words, normal people who have not been regenerated in the womb, which is such a rare exception, the only thing that we can count on, according to what the Bible tells us, is that they must hear the Word of God. Isn't that Paul's whole argument in Romans chapter 10? Why we need to send preachers? Because of the necessity of the Word and the work of conversion. He says in verse 13, well, let's back up to verse I'm backing up, backing up, backing up. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one, with the mouth rather, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then this, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? They won't. They won't call on him if they haven't believed in him. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Well, there we have it. They will not believe which they must believe in order to be justified, they will not believe on him and who they have not heard. And then he goes on to say, how shall they hear without a preacher? This is all according to God's design. Someone would say, well, can't God regenerate someone by bypassing all these mechanisms that you're talking about now? Well, obviously God can, but the question is, what has God designed? And what has he told us that he's designed? How does God say that he does this work? How, they, how shall they hear without a preacher? That's the human element. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, and so forth. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the only thing that we can say with certainty is, if a sinner is going to be saved, he has to hear the Word of God. I can proclaim it to him. I cannot make him hear it, that is, truly hear it in his soul. God, the Holy Spirit, as we've already said, has to open his heart, has to change his heart, has to make him receptive, has to give him life so that he now receives, hears and receives the Word of God, but the instrumentality of God's Word is 
always part of this. We can say, on the basis of Scripture, it is a necessary part of this. How shall they believe on whom they have not heard? In him and whom they have not heard. How shall they hear without a preacher? It takes the word of God. If you want to be involved in this work of salvation, this work of of seeing people brought into the kingdom of Christ, this work of seeing sinners transformed and, and made a part of the bride of Christ, if you want to be a part of this work, then there is this very important, yes, essential part that you can be involved in, namely proclaim the word. Because that's the instrument that God uses. Again, we are dependent upon the Spirit of God. The Spirit, like the wind, blows where it wishes. And you cannot hear the sound of it or tell, tell where, the, where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. That is not our part. That part we cannot produce. That part we cannot control. But the Holy Spirit uses the Word, and that's the part that is entrusted to us. And so God has designed this methodology, you might call it, of salvation. This methodology to justify hell-deserving sinful men. This way of cleansing, cleansing the soul, cleansing the record of sinners who otherwise must be condemned, and justly so, because of their sins, which have not been cleansed, which have not been blotted out. But God has ordained this way. He's designed this way. He's ordained this way. And he's given unto us this work of proclaiming the word. And we proclaim it indiscriminately. We proclaim it to everyone, to all, knowing that all will believe it, in whose heart the Holy Spirit does this regenerating work, the part we don't control. But we do participate, yes, we do, I think I could say properly control this important element, which is the proclamation of God's Word. And so we need to understand the place of the Word in evangelism. This is why psychological techniques, this is why storytelling, this is why emotional appeals do not work, because it takes the Word. And all it takes is the Word from the human standpoint. As I've already explained, it takes the Holy Spirit, but that's, that's God's part. That's not under our control. But as far as what we can do in the work of evangelism, we can proclaim the Word. That's what we can do. And frankly, and this is the part I think is so hard for so many people to understand, that's all we can do. That is all we can do. Except, of course, to pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will work and open hearts and apply his word and cause his word to, to go forth and spread speedily, as Paul called upon people to pray for him. But 
we have this wonderful instrument which God has given, which brings about the cleansing of souls. Now, Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. And so, dear friends, though God uses the Holy Spirit to make the word alive, to convert sinners, we, for our part, can proclaim the word which the Holy Spirit uses. Therefore, Christian friend, learn the word all you can. Give careful attention to it. Teach the word unto your children, for that's the instrument that God will use to convert their souls. Bring your lost friends, neighbors, and loved ones under the influence of the Word and expose them to the Word through whatever means you have, whether it is a printed form or some electronic media that's available to them. Use that. Point them to Christ through the Word of God and see what God will do. Until next week, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you His eternal peace.